morning, everyone. Um, it's really, really good to be here. I'm so thankful for this um, opportunity. Um, so I've, I've been asked to share some of my reflections on the journey. But um, before I do that, I thought I should tell you a little bit about me because I haven't been here that long. Uh, so I'm Sydney born and raised, um, lived there for most of my life until May last year when we moved to Hobart. Um, I'm married to Louise, we're in the 32nd year of our honeymoon and we have four kids. Um, Laura, who you, many of you would know, she came down here a little bit before us with her husband Byron. Um, so yeah, she's here. Matilda just finished university and we're very excited because she's moving from Sydney in two weeks to start a job in Hobart. Our son Mark's travelling the world. He just went to the, the fusion um, uh, facility in um, Trenchtown in Jamaica after David Campbell came. So, um, yeah, he's had an amazing experience and continues to do that. And our youngest, Sean, he's living in Sydney. Um, he's just started a, a full-time job and is playing soccer, football um, in Sydney. So you'll get to hear a little bit more of my story for over the next little bit. Um, but just thought I'd, I'd give you a little bit of an intro to start. So I've, I've called this um, the joys and challenges of going against the flow. That first Bible passage that Louise just read, um, Romans 12 verses 1 to 2, has probably had the biggest impact on the way I've lived or I've tried to live my life as, as a Christian. I've felt that life is a constant challenge um, to not conform to the pattern of the world. Uh, around me and to go against the flow and by doing that be transformed by a renewal of my mind and a better understanding of what God's will is. I'll share a few examples of where, where I've not conformed and, and some of the times when I, or the many times where I continue to fail to do that and, and get sucked along by the pattern of the world around me. But I also want to pose the question um, for all of us, uh, where are you and where am I um, being called to not conform to the pattern of the world around me. So Romans, Romans 12, 2, um, and I'll just read that part again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's something I find both challenging um, but also practical and something that can sit with me every day because I feel that every day requires constant effort to not just be swept along by the flow of the world around me. But what does it mean to not conform to the world? What is the pattern of the world? Anyway, I don't know if anyone wants to throw a few words out. What do you think of when you think of the pattern of the world? Hey, me, me? Yeah, you've heard my talk. Um, <laughs> So some of the words that I, I came up with were self-focus, selfishness, me first, I want it now, I don't want to wait, greed, material success as the measure of, of happiness and, and doing well, consumption of lots and lots of stuff, and busyness. I feel a constant challenge to break free from rather than conforming to the me first way that the human world prefers. If I don't consciously choose to not conform, I simply get swept along, like a, a paddler, um, a kayaker paddling up river. 
you need to put in that effort to paddle or you'll be swept away by the, by the moving water. And you might paddle for a while, but if you stop, there you get the, the, that, that water will suck you down and, and you'll end up going along with the flow. So we need to be continuing to, to keep paddling against that flow. We must have our minds renewed to look at the world through God's eyes, to begin to understand what he wants instead of focusing on what we want. But what does, want, what does God want from you? Where is God calling you to not conform to the pattern of the world? Where does God want to renew your mind? How can you present yourself as a living sacrifice? Where do you think you can't, but maybe you can if you call on Christ? So who do we have as a role model in not conforming with the pattern of the world? We don't need to look any further than Jesus. For me, he was the ultimate um, uh, person who went against the pattern of the world. He was constantly doing that. He was hanging out with lepers, with the poor, with tax collectors, the people who were ostracised by society. He was healing on the Sabbath, you know, you know, seemingly against the, the rules of, of the order of the world at that time. He was talking with women in times when a woman's view was not valued or a woman's testimony was worthless. And he was showing love and forgiveness to those who killed him. So going against the flow is hard. It led Jesus to his death on the cross. It can create friction, maybe even hurt. It can lead to lost opportunities, financial hardship, loss of status. It can disappoint people, including those very close to you. When have you felt called to not conform to the pattern of the world around you? How have you responded? Where might God be calling you now to go against the flow? So I want to go through a few situations where I've felt called to not conform and what's happened as a result of that. So the first is uh, with my career. So a bit about my earlier childhood and, and early career. So I was, I was a bit of a gun at maths and science at school. Um, I was thankful for my aptitude in those areas. I worked really hard. I topped my school in those subjects. I went to uni and got first class honours in mathematics. I got a job working for Australia's biggest insurance, gen, general insurance company um, in the actuarial team and worked my way up the chain. By my early 30s, I was managing the national motor insurance pricing team, earning big dollars and in a great work environment. But God started this burning desire in me to care for his creation. I decided to go back to uni to study environmental management. I got active in climate change advocacy and sustainability in its early days in business. Firstly in insurance, but then I ended up walking away from my career in insurance. Um, a, a career that was ticking all the societal boxes. Money, career path, status, you know, financial security, and a great work environment. I had an awesome boss and a lot of Christians. We even had a Christian um, Bible study at lunchtime. So it was just, there were so many great things about it, but I felt called to move away. I took a job in environmental management working at Sydney Water. My parents especially questioned my logic, especially with four young kids and a mortgage and a financially secure path, career path lying ahead if I'd stayed where I was. I ended up in a career whilst, whilst lower paying, 
left us with more than enough money for our needs and lots of our wants and have been working on things that I have a real passion for. It hasn't been easy. Sometimes I have so much passion for what I do. As a result, I've found it quite stressful, over, over, particularly over recent years. I remember during COVID when I was working full-time from home and then my son Sean said, oh, I don't want to be like you, Dad. You're too stressed and working all the time. But I was like, no, I love my job, mate. I'm thankful for what I do. Um, I just have trouble um, letting go of it sometimes <laughs> uh, and taking on too much stress. But I'm so thankful for that environmental career I've had over the last 20 years. I've had the chance to lead businesses and industries, um, both the insurance industry and the water industry, on journeys to sustainability. I've been an advisor to the Australian Catholic bishops on environmental issues. I started an Australian first project to re produce renewable natural gas um, into the gas network from sewage. And I've teamed with the pastor at my old church on, on how we're called to be stewards of God's creation. But it all started with pursuing my God-given passions and not conforming to the pattern of the world around me. It hasn't been easy, but that's where I remember Philippians 4.13, the other verse that um, Louise read before, that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. My youngest son, Sean, is not conforming to the pattern of the world. He's a super intelligent kid, but dislikes school right from day one and very much opposed to the way the education system was set up. He questions everything, and I mean everything, which is awesome, very hard as a parent. <laughs> he was once in trouble with a teacher for, I think, disrupting a talking class, disrupting the class again. Um, but instead of taking the punishment, he went on to tell the teacher that the classroom setup was devised in the Industrial Revolution to train factory workers and was not appropriate anymore. <laughs> More trouble. <laughs> he finished school over a year ago, um, but wouldn't have a bar of going to university, um, like all of his friends were doing. But he's, he's spent a highly productive year educating himself, reading book after book, and learning more in that time than I think he learnt in his 13 years at school. At the same time, he's deepening his faith with Proverbs being a goldmine of inspiration and instruction for him. In his own way, he's not conforming with the pattern of the world and he's renewing his mind and I think learning a lot more about God's will for him. So are there elements of, of your work or your working life where you feel a call to not conform uh, with the pattern of this world? Where do you need to renew your mind? I've also learnt some ways to not conform through my God-given passion for our Indigenous brothers and sisters. About 12 years ago, Louise and I left the Catholic Church and ended up at Caringbar Baptist Church in southern Sydney. Now, that's probably another non-conforming path, but I don't have time to get into that today. I'll save that for another week. <laughs> But we started in our new church and within a few weeks we hear that they are looking for people interested in being part of a first ever mission trip to the Northern Territory to a town called Borolula. God gave me a passion for social justice from a very early age and I've been involved in lots of social justice activities during my life. My concern for our Indigenous brothers and sisters might have been fuelled by some of the bands I loved who used their music to speak about Indigenous and other social justice issues, but it's been there a long time. Anyway, we're here at this 
new and very different church. So many people said, oh, wow, that's a, that's a big change, Catholic Church to the Baptist Church. We didn't think so, but the, the conventional wisdom, take your time to settle in. You know, you, you're in a new church, a new environment. You've got a busy job. You've got no leave. You've got four young kids. It's not the right time, and you don't have the time to do this. But with the Spirit's prompting and my beautiful wife's encouragement, um, lots of prods from her, um, I put my hand up. So a few months later, I head to remote Borolula in the Northern Territory. The next year, I'm co-leading the trip, and in the third year, I'm leading the trip on my own. As a church, we were also not conforming to the pattern of the world with the way we were going about this trip. Mission trips usually involve doing something tangible. You go and you build something, you set up a program, you teach things. Um, you have a hard agenda and a list of things to do each day. But the mission for our group was simply to journey together in Christ with Borolula Community Church. We learnt so much through our preparation for the trip. And one thing we learnt was that we did not want to fall into a situation where there's a problem or we see a problem and the white fellas decide to do something and in doing so disempower and disrespect the local people. Our mission was simply to get alongside, understand what the local church wants to do and seek, seek to support them in doing that. I visited the Northern Territory and Borolula and nearby town of Robinson River six times in the past 11 years. And whilst I find it hard, it's so hot, <laughs> that's why I moved down here, um, so dry and so many challenges in the troubled community of Borolula, a bit like Paul was talking last week with Alice Springs. Borolula is probably a, a small version of Alice Springs. Um, I've felt God's guiding hand and seen him, seen him work in so many different ways, amazing ways. I've learnt so much from my brothers and sisters in Christ in Borolula. I learnt the power of presence. I remember on my second trip to Borolula, I saw this man that I'd met on the first trip, went up to him to say hello. The first thing he said to me was, he came back. I said, yeah, we came back. Yeah, we said we were coming back. And then he went on to explain that so many white fellas come up here once, especially government people, say what should be done, then we never see them again. I also learnt to be comfortable in silence, not feeling the need to fill time in with words, something that I feel runs very, very counter to our culture. It was after a Bible study session, I think one night, with, with the church. There was a, a big group of people there and then we sort of broke up a bit. I ended up sitting with an older lady and we chatted a bit, but then things fell into silence. I learnt through our trip that particularly culturally we shouldn't be concerned about silence, but it's hard. It's really counter to our culture and can make things feel really uncomfortable. But resisting the urge to get up and go, I sat it out. And after a couple of minutes, um, and they were long minutes, the lady started talking about her early childhood, about how she was almost part of the stolen generation, except that she and her siblings were hidden by the, the owners of the cattle station where her parents worked. And we went on to, to share a lot more about, about her life. It was such a privilege to hear her story, to get first-hand insight into the lives of others, our, our Indigenous brothers and sisters and our, and our history. 
but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't sought comfort in silence. It makes me think about the, the beautiful passage in Ecclesiastes, a time for everything, and the part that says a time for silence and a time to speak. Respect was a powerful word for me in my times in community in Borolula. I've often felt that the non-Aboriginal community does not respect Aboriginal people. Respect and learn from their customs, knowledge, ways and stories. The single most powerful thing I think our church did in all of our trips, again a non-conforming act, was to get the pastor of Borolula Church a man who was a semi-illiterate town drunk until he came upon a Bible in an empty house, to visit our church in Sydney and preach one Sunday morning. On this morning, probably about 10 years ago, I think, Vincent Charlie stood and preached in front of 200 white fellas at Caringbar Baptist Church. A super quiet man who can be hard to hold a conversation with um, many, at, at lots of times. He's the wisest of men with a Bible in his hand and so much, so much to share and to say. They asked me to preach. He said the next, the next time we were up in community, he said that to the community and I lost count of the number of times he said that whilst we were, were up there and obviously other times when we weren't up there. Um, it was just such an empowering moment for him as a preacher, as an Aboriginal Christian um, I just, yeah, I still start to get a bit shaky when I um, reflect on that. It's just one of the beautiful moments in my life. In preparing for one trip, we asked Vincent what he would like help with. He said the church needed more people to get involved as things were very centred around him and his health wasn't, wasn't great. He also wanted the church to be more involved in the community. As I say, it was a community that had a lot of problems too. So we set up uh, on this uh, trip a series of Bible studies to reflect on spiritual giftings that we ran over a few nights, had really good attendance. On the last night, we had a bit more of a focus on, um, on the community and the church serving the community. And we had some small group discussions and, and prayer on that. Um, on that issue of, or that question of how can the church serve the community. As we were talking about that, there was a commotion outside the church and a lady ran into the church where we were. A man stood at the gate shouting at her to come back outside, making lots of threats, really aggressive guy and drunk. She refused. There was a period of a standoff. Nobody had moved from the church group the man outside, he kept shouting, making more threats, threatening to burn down the church. Each one of us in our, in our team from Sydney wanted to get up and do something, but we, we held ourselves back, feeling that the response needed to come from the local church. Then a lady named Virginia, one of the locals, stepped up. She went to talk to the woman, um, then left her with some others, went to talk to the man. She went back and forth. We prayed silently as she went back and forth between the two and slowly restored the, the peace between the man and the woman. So successful was she, praise God, that the man even came in later and really humbly and contritely apologised to us for his behaviour. Now, in all my trips to Borolula, 
and the time I'd spent there, nothing like that had ever happened before. But just at the very moment that we were reflecting on how the church can serve the community, the church was called into action to bring peace to this potential domestic violence situation. Just amazing to feel God's hand in that. We had a number of other amazing God experiences in my times in Borrelula and Robinson River, but too many to share um, today. But I've strongly felt the call to not conform to the pattern of the world when it comes to our relationship with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. I feel that the, the real need to get alongside um, one another um, and seeking to learn and from that learning coming real and deep respect. The power of presence and sharing stories and learning respect. There's a line from a 2021 song that Midnight Oil wrote with some of their Indigenous friends. It says, come on down and gather around the campfire of humankind. That just paints the most beautiful picture in my mind of how we could all come together. A bit like, well, Matt talked about the puzzle before. I was thinking about this when you were talking about the puzzle in the kids' spot. Um, to, to come together as one of different people coming together as one to share stories and, and understanding the past and going side by side into the future. So for every, every story I've shared here so far in, in not conforming that has had good outcomes, I've had countless failures. For every one, there's probably a million failures. I'm so often conforming to the pattern of the world around me. You know, examples being pride in having a nice home or, you know, feeling bad if, I, if things are not nice or the house is a bit shabby. Pride in a nice car and sporting prowess as if that makes me a better person or a more worthy or popular person. I so often fall into the trap of comparing myself to others, whether it be on the sporting field or in terms of career um, and material success. Even though I say that these things don't concern me, and at times they don't, but at other times, lots of other times, they still do concern me. I'm super competitive in the sporting arena, which is not a bad thing in itself, um, but it's not good if one of your drivers is a fear, to, you know, um, a fear of appearing like the weak link in the team or, or not, you know, to be hopeless or just not, not capable. It's not important, but I need to just keep banging my head about that. That's why I find that seeking to go against the flow is a constant challenge or a battle, that you can never let your guard down or you'll be swept away by that current of society. So how do we prepare for that constant challenge? Well, for me, certainly reading the Bible and reflecting uh, on the Word is important. Home group and Kingdom Cell um, help me a lot. Um, they, they remind me of the few things that are important and just push to the side the things that aren't important. That's really valuable. Quiet time is so valuable for me, um, but something that I, in all of these things I just don't do enough, you know, sporadically at best. Um, again, it feels, I feel it needs a constant recognition that I'm choosing not to conform to the pattern of the world around me. As part of a small group at my last church, we were each challenged to take at least 30 minutes, I think he recommended 45 minutes, but he said at least 30, to just stop, go somewhere with no distractions, no people, no technology, 
and just quiet your mind and try not to think about anything. Just clear your mind and then see what happens, see what comes into your mind. So I was actually in Tasmania just after that. So I was sat down by the river um, and just looked, watching the water lap against the shore, the birds on the breeze, um, but trying not to think about anything. It was so different, so out there for me, really. I'm, always, I'm someone that always wants to be doing something. Um, but towards the end of that 30 minutes, I received this really clear message from God of, how do you expect to hear from me if you don't quiet your mind? And it made me reflect on that, that again, that, that passage in Romans 12 to you know, be transformed by a renewing of the mind, that the quiet is so important um, in, in achieving that renewing of your mind. Did I do it again after that 30 minutes? Well, not for about 18 months. Um, that's where I say I fail so many times. I have, as part of preparing for this sermon, I've started to do it again. <laughs> and I've done it twice in the last week. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of failures, but keep battling to going against that, that flow. One of the biggest challenges in not conforming that Jesus preached and demonstrated is to love your enemies. This is so counter to the world and something I've failed on many times. However, on the occasions, there's a couple of examples I want to talk about where I have chosen to love my enemy. The results have been so powerful. So the first um, was uh, to do with our daughter, Laura, and she was okay with me talking about this, just in case you're thinking, <laughs> you're wondering. But in primary school, she was being verbally bullied by a girl in her class at school. Laura, there were, there were days, day after day, she'd come home really upset that this girl had said nasty things to her or excluded her from things, and it was really affecting Laura. So, you know, a, a normal parental societal response would be get into the Get in and see the principal. Get some action. This girl should be punished. Get, get, her, you know, get this offender out. Well, we, we reflected on things and we had a threefold response. I mean, the first was in praying about this and seeking God's help in, in resolving the situation. We did go to school, but we went to talk to the teacher just to say, hey, this is happening. Make sure the teacher's aware. Um, simple solutions like putting the girl in another class wouldn't work because it was a small school, there was only one class in each year. So, so we, we continued to work through it with Laura, taking the approach of someone who's bullying often has something going on in their life. We don't know what's happening for this person. Um, so try to build a little bit of understanding and a little bit of resilience. So with that approach, things did settle down over time, praise God. And... That was in primary school. The girls went to a new school in high school. And Laura and the girl actually ended up in the same friendship group at high school and became closer friends um, as they, they went through high school. We got to learn from this girl when she'd come to visit our place that at the time of the bullying, her parents were going through a divorce and she was really jealous of Laura having such a loving family. And she said how she loved to come to our house to experience some of the family time that we have together. Laura and, and her became so close that she became one of Laura's bridesmaids when she got married. 
loving your enemy can produce amazing results with God's, with God's power. So another example. Um, we had an issue with our neighbours over our boys hitting balls into the, the fence and over into their yard. Our boys and me, actually, love playing ball games in the yard. Cricket, football, frisbee, we'd make up games. There'd always be something going on and we had a nice big yard. It was a great spot to play. But our neighbours were getting angry with balls being hit against the metal fence and making a really loud bang. I hate metal fences. <laughs> I wanted a timber fence. But um, Anyway, they'd be out gardening and these balls were hitting the fence, bang, or going over the fence. The boys would ask for the ball to be returned um, and they were getting very angry and started not returning the balls. So the boys would wait until dark and they'd gone inside and they'd sneak over when the neighbours weren't there. But then they'd get caught out a couple of times. I, had, I was outside one time, I had one argument with the neighbour where he basically said he wanted the boys to stop playing ball games. It's like, don't be the fun police, come on, this is ridiculous. Um, you know, and things were really deteriorating and I felt very um, righteous in my anger, I suppose. <laughs> they accused our boys of swearing at them, which was absolutely false. Um, and I was in fight mode, they were my enemy and the world supports me here. It's fair enough, they were being unreasonable and completely unfair. What made it worse, I, I, looking over the fence one day, I saw they had a trailer from a local church. I thought, these people are Christian? How can they be like this? But Louise, the wise Louise, um, suggested we take a conciliatory approach. We wrote a letter to our neighbours, apologising for the noise and disruption to their peaceful gardening. We even bought them a gift voucher um, from a garden store. During we were, you know, the time that we were sort of putting that letter together, I realised that I could probably put up a net that would stop most of the ball strikes against the fence and, and a lot of the balls going over the fence as well. So we put the letter in their, in their letterbox. Um, didn't hear anything for a few weeks. But then we received a letter from them in our letterbox thanking them for the voucher, though they returned it to us as they said it wasn't necessary. They apologised to us and returned the boys' balls. They said that the man had, not been, had been going through some major health issues over the, the past few months and was not coping well with that and was extra sensitive to noise. And they appreciated our effort in putting up the net, even if it didn't stop all the banging. Peace had returned, real sustained peace through Jesus' radical approach of loving our enemy. It is very, very hard as I said, I, you know, I've really found that one hard, but it can bring amazing fruit. If only I can do it more often. So where else might we need to go against the flow and not conform in our day-to-day -day lives? One last area I want to talk about is busyness. I've recently read a, a really good book called Essentialism. It talks about how society sees busyness as a badge of honour. It's not a Christian book, but they quote an author named John Maxwell, who's an American author, speaker and pastor, who says, you cannot underestimate the unimportance of practically everything. It poses a few questions through the book. What if we stopped celebrating being busy as a measure of importance? 
What if we stopped being oversold the value of having more and being undersold the value of having less? What if society stopped telling us to buy more stuff and instead allowed us to create more space to breathe and to think? Deliberately setting aside distraction-free time in a distraction-free space to do absolutely nothing other than think and I'll add and pray and seek God. Well, again, we have a great role model here in Jesus. He would regularly seek respite, going out into, into nature, into the wilderness to rest and to pray. I've felt a constant need to fight against a society that values constant busyness. But it is one of the things, again, that I find really, really hard to do. I've tried to, to counter it in the workplace where that, you know, how are you going? Oh, that automatic response is, oh, I'm busy or I'm so busy. It's, well, no. Let's not be busy, and if it, 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 that's, that's not sustainable to be busy all the time. Essentialism's challenge is to be good at saying no to unimportant things, or even good things sometimes, so that you have the capacity to take on the great things, things that God is calling you to, the things that he's gifted you for. But we live in a yes society, I think, where we're encouraged to take on more and more and more, to say yes to everything that comes along. But often going against the flow needs a response of no. But that can bring a fear of missing out on an opportunity. And that does for me. I want to be able to I want to be in everything. You can be scared of rocking the boat, stirring up things, burning bridges. It may disappoint someone, and it, a saying no often needs courage, as it may bring conflict or friction. Saying no and valuing simplicity is very counter to the world's call. But the, as I said before, the, the point is to say no to the non-essential, unimportant things so that we can say yes and give full focus and time to the things that really matter, the things that God wants us to focus on, the things that are important. Going against the flow is a constant challenge and one that we need to support and encourage each other in. But we have Jesus as both our role model and our strength. Again, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now I want to finish with a short Bible verse. It's one that um, might technically be directed to women, but I, I really feel that there's a lesson in it for, for all people. It's from 1 Peter, verses, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So let's just finish in prayer. Lord God, Thank you for your time um, this morning, for this time in your presence. Thank you for your word. I just want to pray for courage for each of us to boldly go against the flow, to not conform to the world around us, to have the strength through Jesus to consistently not conform to the pattern of the world around us. 
to seize opportunities to act in ways that run counter to the world where we feel that the Spirit moves us. To take time out to hear you, Lord, to clear our minds and in doing so renew our minds. I pray that we can show love to those who make us angry or upset and not be blinded by hate or dislike, but choose to love those who cause us pain, grief or discomfort. I pray for the strength to be comfortable in saying no when we need to and to take joy in peace and being unhurried and to continually seeking God's will and considering what would Jesus do. In Jesus' name, amen.